Hello, hooligans and hoodians, and welcome to the Who A podcast on post show recaps, where we are recapping episodes of Gadget, 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 Gadget. No, I'm just kidding. We're recapping episodes of Doctor Who, and we are in post season four, before season five, four specials that are leading the way to the new era of Doctor Who with Matt Smith. But before that, we are here with the last of the Tenet stuff, and I am here. With Adam and Melissa, as always. Guys, how's it going? Gadget, gadget? Do 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 do, Inspector Gadget. <laughs> wow, didn't think that was actually yeah. going to go. Amazing. <laughs> Been thinking about that all day. Yeah, um, yeah uh, very excited to be here. It does sort of feel like we are in a weird, like, purgatory type situation where, like, <laughs> I know how good it's about to be, but I just, I just have to say, this week was a slog to get oh, through these wow. episodes. <laughs> I really feel like three like hour long specials, uh, you know, just to even get to here. Uh, we had maybe become a little bit spoiled in terms of the lack of skipping that we have done in this podcast, despite the fact that we have gotten some grief for it. Um, you're welcome because guess what? You didn't have to watch three hours of Doctor of, of you know subpart Doctor Who every single week uh, because we weren't skipping a bunch of stuff. And now it was just like, man, I, you know, I usually am a two times through the episode before we podcast kind of guy that was not happening this week whatsoever. Like there was just no chance, but we're so close to the good stuff. I don't know. I think I'm going to come in a lot more down on this, these couple of episodes than either of you two are, but uh, you know, we'll see. Still, still excited to be here. Melissa, do you feel the same way? Was this a slog for you with these three? So the two we skipped. I'm very glad we skipped. <laughs> I did. Um, I made the right call. <laughs> yeah. I liked Waters of Mars. I really liked it. There's like some really good moments in there. Uh, to me, it's just like this really lovely like coda for David Tennant. And that was just like the thing that I kept coming to where I was like, man, David Tennant's really good at this. <laughs> like, yeah. Yep. Um, so, yeah, I, I'm excited to talk about the last one. And we'll, you know. I, I got I got short summaries of the other two. It'll be fine, but yeah, I'm I'm glad we skipped them. <laughs> yeah. So for those who have been tracking and curious what's happening here, you know, we've been going through uh, here on the main feed uh, season four of Doctor Who. We had done um, the previous three seasons for the patrons. Those I believe are still available if you want to go back onto the website. We made them public uh, for you to catch up on if you'd like. You obviously don't have to, um, but we had it. Originally, we were curating episodes. We were skipping stuff that we didn't think was worth it. Sometimes we fumbled and covered stuff that definitely wasn't worth it, but was funny to cover in retrospect. I'm always going to try and defend my bad decision for in Manhattan, but whatever. Um, and now uh, we covered all of four because it was just so good. And spoiler, we're probably going to do for five as well. But here in this between area, this purgatory Adam talked about, you know, Tenet, uh, David Tennant, who's playing the 10th Doctor, was about to make his departure, uh, season four wrapped, and they decided they were going to do four specials, which came out over the course of, I want to say, like, three years. Um, they were, like, one by one by one. So we went for a long time without the regular Doctor Who, and these specials would essentially be, like, these uh, end-of-year events that would ultimately lead to his big finale, his big farewell. Um we, in our curation, skipped the first two, and we haven't done this in a while, but what we do when we skip an episode is we'll do, as Melissa mentioned, a brief summary of it, do a quick talk about, um, watch it if you if you like, watch it if you don't, um, which is some of the things we'll tell you why, you know, to watch it or not. 
And then, of course, we're going to head into the third special, which is what we are covering this week, Water of Mars. Uh, we skipped over the next Doctor, and it'll tell you really how misleading that title is, that we skipped over it. <laughs> um, and we skipped over Planet of the Dead, although there is fun things to talk about there. And we are covering special number three, which is Water of Mars. Um, so yeah, we're going to do a recap of the ones we skipped. We'll talk about Water of Mars, and we'll talk about what we're doing next. Um, but yeah, let's start here, Melissa. Small recap of the next Doctor, which, spoiler, doesn't feature the next Doctor. Yeah, this, yeah, the title is a bit extra. I, did people think at the time that it did? Or did people already know yes. Matt Smith was coming in? Yeah, that was like the whole thing. That was, you know, they, they yeah. like released the name and some of the information on like a little bit of a teaser. And so that was sort of the whole, the whole premise, which obviously you know, Tommy Wimey were very loose in terms of the Doctor Who universe, but also like it doesn't it doesn't really work on a it doesn't work on a rewatch, unfortunately. You don't really get the benefit of that. Yeah. So yeah, it's Christmas Eve, 1851. There's another doctor. He's got a companion, Rosita, uh, a TARDIS, a sonic screwdriver. And there's these like Sasquatch-like Cybermen. I didn't mm -hmm. understand mm -hmm. what this was supposed to be. Um but the new doctor doesn't recognize his past self. He's lost a bunch of his memories. The Cybermen are in London bringing about the rise of the Cyber King. The new doctor is a poor version of the old doctor, though. He talks down to his companion. His sonic screwdriver is just a screwdriver. Uh, the woman working with the Cybermen shows up to the Reverend's funeral in all red and the Cybermen attack. The new Doctor's TARDIS turns out to just be a hot air balloon. Uh, but the doctor himself has actually never left London. The Doctor explains about the Cybermen and that the new Doctor was the man Jackson Lake and he who he had thought was killed by the Cybermen. He became the Doctor because he got stamped with information that the Cybermen had about the real Doctor, combined with a fugue state due to losing his own wife. Uh, the old men from the funeral are now controlled and marching children down the street to the court of the Cybermen to be a workforce. Uh, the Cybermen turn the woman in red into the Cyber King, but she still has all of her feelings and is using that to control them. Uh, the new doctor remembers his child got taken away and he sees him and the doctor saves him as well as all the other children. Uh, the cyber king rises from the Thames and the doctor defeats the, the cyber king using the hot air balloon and getting the woman to have an open mind. Let's also point out, by the way, when we say the cyber king rises from the Thames, this is a giant cyberman yeah. that stops around 1850s London. This is going to be important for when i talk about water margin a little bit but yeah i i think it's worth knowing a giant robotic creature showed up in 1851 and let's just say everyone forgot about it i guess but uh this is a weird episode i feel like there are things that i feel like they were trying to draw from right it's like oh it's the 1850s there's these dickensian children and like they're, they're trying to do like that sort of stuff but I don't know the the weird like uh he's actually not the next doctor he's just sad and crazy and <laughs> it's just a weird answer for that yeah, yeah. My, my watch if is if you enjoy emotional beats of the doctor's truths like reflected back at him there are like a couple of those moments in this episode and like hot air balloons in general i guess uh and yeah there's just like every now and then there's like some good david Tennant emotional beats but not enough to really carry the episode, I don't think. Uh, and don't watch if you don't want to watch another Cyberman story that is like very much the same as what we've already seen, except it's in Victorian England this time uh, and more bad special effects. 
The special effects are pretty brutal. I'm not going to lie. Um, yeah, I, I like very, very similar like watches from Don't Watch If you really like hot air balloons, this is for you, baby. Like, this is it. This is all you could possibly <laughs> need. We, I've waited for this forever. Dr. Got Who, you, hot God. air balloons. <laughs> um, I also think like if you're trying to be more of a like story completionist, like I do, you know, Cybermen related stuff. Like if you're trying to watch everything Cybermen related because they're like really your jam or like you really enjoy all those stories. Okay. Um... There's not a lot else uh, to watch for. This, I think, was like a really tough episode for me to get like through. I always skip this one on a rewatch. Like I, I, I to be honest with you, I almost always skip all of the specials. Like uh, that might be bad to say. There are obviously oh, some that or... I don't. There are there are okay. like okay, there are obviously some that I don't. But like I, I think one of my like more prominent Doctor Who takes that we haven't really gotten to like talk about is that I do think some of the best episodes of Doctor Who are the specials, but also some of the worst episodes of Doctor Who are the specials. And there's not a lot of in between. Like truly, it is like some of the worst stuff we get. And I would I would put this episode in that category or like the best of Doctor Who. And there's just there's just not a lot of in between, which is like really tough to navigate if we're trying to talk about a show that has like a bunch a bunch of specials um i think that like david morrissey did a good job though it's like uh you know as the other doctor i think like if i'm putting myself in the shoes of like okay could i have gotten like pranked or scammed by this in real time then like maybe i would have enjoyed it more as like that kind of situation but i don't know knowing the context and like knowing what we know i think makes this a little bit tougher uh we did get one piece of feedback of this episode and i think it makes sense to to read it here as we're talking about it from daniel fields um uh, this is, uh, he's excited to, he's excited to talk about it, even though we're not covering it. I remember not liking this one since last time I watched it. I watched Blackpool, a strange quasi musical BBC show starring David Tennant and David Morrissey, who's uh, obviously this, um, I didn't hate it this time. It's a fun Christmas special. The Cybermen with exposed brains are a little disturbing and Miss Hardigan, who is the woman wrangling them seems to be rather turned on by them. Not sure how I feel about the cyber dire wolf thing. That's basically someone with a blanket thrown over them in a mask. Very classic doctor. Who um, the sonic screwdriver just being a screwdriver is a funny bit. His uh, TARDIS tethered aerial development re- release in style. Uh, he loves that. And then finally, the Cyber King is like an evil Iron Giant meets Pacific Rim. Yes, the two two things that I definitely want to combine together and this yeah. is the outcome. <laughs> it's what Doctor uh, Who was missing, Kevin. That's yeah. the... <laughs> I do love both those things individually. I love the Iron Giant quite a bit, in fact. But this is this this isn't. The combination of it I would like to have seen. Um, yeah, I think for me, it, my watch it if is very much in line with the David Morrissey of it all. I think he's pretty good in it. And like, if you're a fan of uh, his his run on The Walking Dead, you can check him out here. Completely different role. Um, I definitely was fooled a little bit. And I think we were both, um, and I say we because I believe I watched this with my wife at the time um after our you know doctor who <laughs> getting together that i talked about in the last podcast um we were thinking like is this the thing that they're doing like it's obviously not you know the next next doctor maybe like I, I, it played with an idea that i do think is really strong that i'm gonna avoid spoilers so as far as we are concerned for right now is all i'll say whether it changes in the future i'm also not going to say because i'm trying to keep it as as plain as possible the concept of a future version of the doctor interacting with a past version so like a version that we haven't seen before is endlessly fascinating we've seen a lot of the opposite we've seen doctors interact with their past selves of of the present day but not like a future concept and i think that's a really interesting and cool idea there's obviously technical levels about why that's difficult to pull off 
but I still think it's doable, especially I think to an extent where Doctor Who ends up going. But it's really a concept that that was exciting at the time. And the fact that it wasn't was a bit of a letdown, which is why I will say the don't watch is don't watch if, if you're excited because you're going to be let down, I think, for if you're anticipating something really fascinating like that. Yeah, I think that's what I... So I, I obviously knew that he wasn't like the next doctor, but I didn't know okay, he's just going to be some dude. Like when I first started watching this, I was like, oh, is this, was this someone who they were thinking like, you know, yeah, we project him, you know, 40 iterations from now. So like, you know, who knows if we ever even have to worry about like making that make narrative sense. Um, and he was actually going to be the doctor. And then like, as it unfolds, it was like, wait, this dude kind of sucks. Um, but <laughs> I was originally thinking that he was the doctor and just like, some far distant version of him and just not the next one but yeah yeah um all right so uh, if there's no other thoughts on the next doctor there is a little bit a little bit more that we could talk about with uh planet of the dead the second special melissa take us away about what nonsense happens here <laughs> yeah so i liked planet of the dead Certainly much better. Um, there's a vase being guarded in the International Gallery, and someone is mission impossibling in to steal it, leaving behind a waving cat. Uh, the thief runs into the doctor on the bus, and it's Easter. Um, the doctor never does Easter specials because it's hard to find because it moves around, but he remembers the original, which I thought was just the, this like fun uh, moment here. The bus is transported to this like desert landscape. A woman hears the voices of the dead. The thief, Christina, calls the doctor, uh, says the doctor is not a name. It's a psychological condition uh, to which I took great offense. Uh, the doctor comforts the people on the bus, telling them to hold on to what they have waiting at home, which I thought was this kind of sweet moment. Uh, the doctor's new best friend is a unit scientist named Malcolm. Uh, the doctor and Christina are captured by some large fly aliens, and it turns out the sand is the remains of a dead civilization. Uh, the sandstorm that's coming is actually a swarm of these like manta ray-like aliens. The thief uses her Mission Impossible powers to do something, <laughs> grab something. I wasn't really paying attention. Uh, the doctor discovers Christina's the thief and disapproves. Uh, and I was, you know, the like weird, like colonial tone throughout this episode was frustrating. Um, and the, but then he admits that he stole the TARDIS from his own people. The doctor manages to use the stolen gold bus to get the bus to fly back through the wormhole to London. Uh, the doctor refuses to bring Christina with him because he's lost the people who travel with him, and he says never again. Uh, the woman that hears voices tells the doctor his song is ending, that it is returning through the dark, and he will knock four times. Uh, and then the doctor helps Christina get away in the flying bus. Yeah, that's essentially the full plot. It's really a bizarre like adventure story and i think the, with the addition of this character christina played by michelle ryan who we'll talk about shortly um is very almost like indiana jones pulpy in tone and the episode honestly feels that way which i am with melissa i like this one certainly better than the next doctor and i remember the first time i watched it, i had a lot of fun with it and i will say the retrospect thing beyond michelle ryan who was like a person at the time i feel like it's so weird because i feel like she was being really pushed to be in stuff it was almost like sam worthington where for like a hot minute people were just like put sam worthington in everything and then he just disappears and the same thing happened here um but more importantly the person who ends up not disappearing daniel kaluuya in this is, is, is in this episode and we've talked about who are famous people that have been 
on this, and I think he certainly is famous. Like, I, I don't know if he, he's certainly not the most famous, because again, we'll get to who that is, and we've had some strong contenders, but he's one of. Like, I feel like I put him there with an extent of Andrew Garfield. I mean, he's been in a Marvel Cinematic Universe movie with Black Panther, which was extremely popular. He was nominated, and I sadly I don't think he won, for uh, um, Judas and a Black Messiah. Phenomenal, phenomenal role um, in which he played Frank Hampton. It, and, like, he's extremely talented. And, of course, Get Out, um, the Jordan Peele masterpiece of a horror movie. Uh, he's pretty well known. I, I knew... <laughs> him before this it would be from skins where he was in uh, another show that has birthed many i think uh popular people from uh, nicholas holt to daniel kaluuya to um oh my god how am i for forgetting his name dev patel thank you um we're all uh, on skins together so it was kind of wild seeing him here especially because he plays like a really goofy dude <laughs> which i think is very funny but even in this his comedic timing i think is pretty good so that's my watch if, which is basically watch if Daniel Kaluuya. And I feel like that's the reason to like check out this episode. And don't watch if you don't have a lot of time on your hands, I guess. I like that. Yeah. If you don't have an hour that you're just not interested in not getting back, then like, I guess, like, you know, maybe, <laughs> maybe you could watch this. I, certainly the cast. Uh, I think the, the Michelle Ryan conversation is really interesting because I, I, I do like at the time she was rumored to be the next companion like there was there was a lot of talk of her kind of like stepping into that role and i do think it would have always been interesting because we had this with Catherine tate right where she was on the show as like a one-shot type situation mm -hmm. and then came back as the companion and i you know maybe it's a good onboarding ramp to see what people think of of a you know characters they're coming on i don't know I'm ultimately very happy with who we went with for our next companion and uh, would have been very <laughs> upset had we not gone that route. Um, so there's that. I don't know. This this one did nothing for me. Like truly yet again, like another episode is just like, okay, I guess we're like on a bus a lot. And, uh, you know, like, I don't know. Like there, there was not a lot of intrigue for me. Um, I sometimes struggle to really quickly get emotionally invested in characters that are not like consistent throughout the show. And like, I don't I don't know that we got any characters this episode or or the previous episode for that matter where I was like really invested in their like arc or well-being or like any of their motivations or anything like that. It just sort of felt like we were going through the motions a bit and you know David Tennant I, I think is really good. Like I he's this is like the best of the best of David Tennant is in this stretch here as we get to the end of of the previous season and into these specials so like great for him but um, we did get another piece of feedback that included a little trivia question, which I actually really liked. Uh, and so I'm, I'm excited to share this. So a little bit of trivia, uh, from Danny Fields yet again, thank you so much for all your contributions. We love getting feedback and please keep sending it in. The double decker in Planet of the Dead was supposed to be completely intact, but a shipping container was dropped on it when it arrived in Dubai <laughs> for filming as they didn't have time to send for out uh, for another bus. They had to smash up the one they had in London to match rewrite the script to say it's a trip through the wormhole caused the damage and then hope that no one wondered why it didn't sustain more damage on the way back. <laughs> good job i did it yeah <laughs> i didn't, I didn't even notice hard. i really I love that yeah. yeah that's really funny so uh I, I love that kind of stuff so if you're interested in double decker buses that have been smashed i would watch this one um and then if you're interested in doing anything more productive with your time and actually curating a list of doctor episodes to watch i would skip it <laughs> yeah i i i consider this like a decent one-off episode uh there were some like i thought yeah there were there were a lot of side characters so it was hard to get invested in any single one but the ones that we got for the brief period of time that we got were fine enough um 
I say don't watch if you want to get to series five faster um, or you don't want to see some random close up of a British woman's teeth for no good reason. Uh, that was a horrifying moment. Um, and like weird fly aliens that had no purpose in the plot at all. I was very confused by why they existed and what was going on there. Um, and yet another woman romanticizing the doctor. Yes, indeed. Was did uh, RTD, RTD wrote all of these, right? I think so. Yeah. Okay. This is just something I wanted to remember for later if it ever comes up. So I'm going to have to store this away. Um, but I will say that uh, the Michelle Ryan companion conversation, I remember the first time I watched it, I thought this was a very intriguing character. They were like written in a way that could be very playful with the doctor, like a, a, a personality that's like a little bit different than we've seen necessarily, right? Um, and the fact that they're like a thief. Like as a person who also is really into comics, it was very Catwoman-esque. And I I am a big fan of the Batman-Catwoman relationship. I ship them real hard. Um, my wife and I are constantly at odds about that, but that's fine. Uh, but like, I will say, and no offense really to Michelle Ryan. However, on rewatches especially, I don't think she's, strong enough to have been a companion uh like i think the character's interesting she has moments but there was just a little bit there that i was like oh you're not selling it enough especially to be a companion long term and especially coming after donna and double especially coming after who we'll be getting it is just one of those moments of just like at the time it was interesting but i don't think sadly she would have been able to really pull it off also in retrospect i feel like the character's is this going to sound crazy? Too American. Like, there's something very, like, <laughs> if this was, like, huh. you know, there was a d discussion about a long, a lot of times about, like, the Doctor Who, but in America, what would that be like? And I kept joking, like, he would drive a red Ferrari as his TARDIS. He wouldn't actually have, like, a like a police box. It would just be the, the most American stuff. And one of it would be a companion like this, where it's just, like, what would be a cool American companion? And it's just like, ooh, she's a, like a cat burglar and she's witty and, and, and like, you know, it's like going with him toe for toe in a different way and flirtatious. And I'm like, yeah, this feels very American. There's something just very American about that personality type, I think. And I don't know why, but like, that's where I feel like now. It just kind of reads that way to me. I'm really curious, Kevin, what your experience is with the average American and how often they are cat burgling things <laughs> i it's not the average american this is like the tv version of no, america okay, life right? okay. it's like i could totally see it like you're in the studio in hollywood about like what do we want to show that the people will like and this is like the type of stuff we come up with right it's not the it's not a police box harness it's like he's gonna drive a car that we can mm -hmm. then sell toys of and kids will drive around you know like nonsense like that um but anyway <laughs> yeah, the thing that it I didn't identify it as like American, but she's like very pushy about it, right? She's like, yeah. we should go. Uh, we'd be so great together, like all this stuff. And I was like, I don't think you make each other better. I think right. you like make each other worse. And like the doctor and the companion, I enjoy the dynamic where they each make each other better, right? The doctor helps them, you know, with Donna, like helps her see what she's capable of until the end. This is, we don't have to talk about it anymore. It's too sad. Um, but he made Donna better and Donna made him better. And I think that uh, when the companions do that, it's a really like compelling relationship. I think that this relationship would have felt more toxic. And I don't think I it has the legs to be for that to be fun more than like a handful of times. Yeah. 
I think that's a, that's a very fair assessment here. Um, it could be, yeah, I think the handful of times is interesting, right? You could have a couple episodes in the realization of just like, oh, this is this is bad. You're not better. I, I need to like leave you somewhere. Yeah, probably, I, I sort know. of thought he was going to say that at some point. And then he's all like, no, I've lost too many people and I'm all sad about it. And I was like, oh, that's why I thought it was just going to be a like, it's not you. <laughs> uh, it's not you. It's not me. It's definitely you. Uh, yeah. Like, yeah, we are in the sad boy phase of Doctor Who right now for Tenet specifically. Um, and we're going to talk about the following uh, special Water Mars more into detail um, right after we come back from our break. All right. Before we dive into the episode fully with the, with the breakdown, I did want to get... One, some high-level thoughts, and two, something that did happen in the previous episode that you mentioned, Melissa, uh, a prophecy that comes into play mm -hmm. a little bit that's mentioned. The uh, You had you had it written down, and I think you, you just read it, but do you, do you still have it again? The, I do, I do, okay, yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, she tells the doctor his song is ending, that it's returning through the dark, and he will knock four times. Yes. Um, and this is the thing that's going to, I think, come into play pretty amazingly in this episode. This idea of his song ending, the knock four times is definitely going to be a thing. Um, we, <laughs> it's something certainly we have talked about on this podcast a little bit, but um, it's really interesting, that setup. And also, Melissa, when we kept doing the knocking, the, 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 those four beats... There was a second level to it that Adam and I were just like, okay, well, don't say nothing because she doesn't know about that part of it, I guess. So hence why yeah. when the prophecy happened, it was... Except I saw the preview for, like, I immediately knew who this was referring to. And then, like, I saw the preview and I was like, yeah, okay, that makes sense. I think it's still, like, cool, though. Like, I, you yeah. know, I, to, to the credit of the show, like, I think that, you know... I'm not a big preview person. I know Kevin has like strong feelings on like previews and trailers as well, but like I, I generally like won't seek them out or like won't even really watch them. But I do think that like, especially in this case, as we get to the end of this episode, which is whatever, like still an hour plus away for us. But um, I think it like still is good at setting up the idea of like, okay, this is cool. Like, I think like teasing something big and not like really revealing what exactly like it is or how it's going to come into play is still really good for, for Doctor Who specifically. I think there could be a lot of traps and pitfalls, but like in this case, I think it worked really well. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, and so thoughts overall, though, on Water Mars before we dive into it, I will say I like Melissa, actually, when I first because this is your first time watching it. Um, yeah. When I first watched it, I really liked this episode and some couldn't watch this. I still enjoyed it. Um, but I was kind of worried going into it, like, would it have the same impact? Would it have the same feeling for me? And it's really interesting because I like it, but for, like, slightly different reasons. There's a lot in here that calls back to a lot of stuff. And character arc-wise, I think works really well for the Doctor. About where we've seen him from the past and where he ends up at the end of this episode, I think is kind of fascinating. Yeah, I think I think there's some good stuff. I think that it's there's some really good emotional stuff in here. I, I really like the story. Actually, I, I really like this episode. Like, I think I'm just going to come out and say, like, I, I thought the concept was really cool. I, um, yeah, I, we're going to go through it, but I thought, I think it's a good one. I, I think that there's a, enough emotional stuff here, but I also think that like the whole premise is really interesting and the doctor's kind of emotional journey throughout it is really fascinating. So, yeah. 
I mean, how early should I talk about like the? Well, the, that's what I was gonna say. Like, do we do we wait for Adam's uh like high level thoughts, or do we just like does he say it now, or we we? we I don't know. You tell it, me. What do you piece want? It together as we go. I what do you want, Adam? Like what do you together. think? It, you want to okay, do it all now? The pro. No, I'm, I certainly don't want to do it all now. But like I like the okay. My chief problem with this is that I feel like I'm some of what is happening is just too funny to take seriously <laughs> like like that some is a of, take i did not see coming for like this. some of this looks so stupid that like it is impossible for me to be like actually feeling anything like there's no terror okay like the we'll get to this obviously but like there's one scene where like we're running all the way across a freaking whatever hallway and we put oh, it we, we hit the nas and then we like leave a trail yes. of fire and yes. then we walk in and then the baddies start power washing the window like yeah. <laughs> I, like it just looks so stupid <laughs> i like, think it looks stupid I'm, in the best way possible. i'm like laughing i'm not scared at all i'm like laughing because it literally is like can i can i watch your windows for you over there <laughs> it's like what are we doing it looks so so dumb for so much of this and it just takes me out of it completely because like the the tonal shift is like oh my god this is the creepiest like water alien ever on mars we're all gonna die and our mouths are turning into weird little i don't even butt chins i don't even know what's going on here and then we start washing windows and it's like i don't know it's just so much whiplash and i i just can't i just can't do it so that's that's like the gist of my chief issue here all right well i think we can get more further into it as we go through the episode so let's kick us off melissa yeah so a woman is watching a video from her daughter and her granddaughter meanwhile the tardis arrives on mars and we see astronauts are working there a robot stops the doctor for trespassing uh the (laughs) yeah the astronauts question the doctor one of them is holding him at gunpoint uh and the doctor says he hates funny robots Two of the astronauts are working in a garden. One of them bites a carrot and turns into a weird water monster. This Uh, scene, by the way, I have to call out as fantastic. Like, I thought it was so good how she, like, because it's the two people, right? The one who bites the carrot and then, uh, uh, like, their partner who's working with them. And we're in the foreground with the partner. And in the background, you see the person who, who took the carrot. And, like, I think his name is Andy. And he like Andy starts, and Maggie. I got yeah. everybody's names in this episode, which is how you know that I like actually it's got actually invested in who these people yeah. were. <laughs> yeah. Um, but like you see him from the back in the background, so he's like kind of that out of focus way, and he just starts shaking and like 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 you know like moving, and then he like falls to his knees, and it's I thought a very effectively done horror shot. Uh, so I really liked how that shot played out. Yeah, they do that a couple times in this episode. So. Yeah. Uh, the doctor finds out that they are the first off-world colonists on Mars, and we see the headlines. The doctor knows all about the crew, naming each of them, including the fact that the geologist Mia is only 27. Uh, and we start to see their obituaries, all having died that same year. Uh, and a news article about the Mars base being destroyed by a nuclear blast that same day. The doctor tells them he's sorry with all of his hearts, but it's one of those rare times where he's got no choice. The doctor tells them that it's been an honor. Uh, he remembers that there are two others, and over the comms, they hear this growling. Uh, we see lights going off in the garden area. The doctor insists he's leaving, but the captain tells him to come with her. It's, I will say, okay, okay. I like this, okay. I like this setup. We've seen the, like, immediately what this is clearly portraying to us. The doctor shows up somewhere. 
crazy stuff starts happening and essentially the crew will start dropping one by one we've seen the setup but i do think the way it plays out and paces out is really interesting there's those horror moments i mentioned before but one thing i will say and this is sort of like on the adam side of things not with the goofiness but in like a critique this is an hour and three minutes long a full i would say the three minutes of that was flashing individually to each person's obituary as the doctor said their name i thought that was maybe a little bit much like every time he said their name they flashed to an obituary of the person like i get like it, the, the impact of it is 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 there right like it's it's meant to be impactful but there was a moment where as he kept saying someone's name i'm like oh god they went to another obituary and i was like how many more crew members are there there was a moment of that for I zoned out. I legitimately, I was like, we were starting to list names, like to Melissa's point before. I could not tell you anyone's name. Something yeah, but you can't tell anybody's name in anything. Ever. Well, but, but, but there's so I many agree. names here. I think I got Adelaide something. Like that's like, Adelaide Brooke, come yeah, on. That's like as far as I yeah. can go. He here, says like, her name like 12 times in this yeah. episode. Yeah. Um, I, didn't so get, I didn't get every single one. Sure. Like we probably could have cut out two crew members or something. Um, But I thought. I really enjoyed the emotional weight of the fact that, yeah, the doctor knows who every single one of these people are because they are like that impactful in history yeah. that he's like, yeah, the whole world knows your names and not because of the reason you think they do. Um, I don't know. I thought that this was like a really impactful moment and like, sure, could it have been true? Like the fact that it's like the weight of that, the fact that it goes on that it's like, no, every single one of these people is not going to make it out of here. And the doctor has to look at every single one of these people. Um, yeah, I, I I think that it's impactful. I, I agree with that. I think it's it's one of those like subsequent watch problems, right? Because I do think mm -hmm. when I first watched it, I think it was impactful and I really liked it. And, and just hearing you talk about it again, I'm like, right, this is, this totally makes sense. The idea of like, he knows everyone's name. This is how important they were. And like, they have meaning and stuff like that and where it lasts totally tracks for me so yeah i the, hearing it again and especially from like the reason when you watch it the first time it is it does work i think for me it was just one of those just like i'm watching it now again and i'm just like maybe they could have trimmed this but you're that's 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 a hindsight one of like i know it already if i'm watching it happen i think it does work you're totally right there uh, so the doctor says that he hates robots again, uh, but not robots, the people dressing them up and giving them silly voices, reducing them. Uh, the engineer, who admittedly name I never got, uh, comments, gadget is adapted from worker drones with an incredible strength capacity, which I wrote down in my notes because I thought this was a thing that was going to come back at some point. It does not. <laughs> no, <laughs> I, I was no. like, that's clearly going to be a thing that gets referred to. Like, gadget's well, going to save the day with his like awesome strength. No. It's because the uh, the key is just really heavy. A normal human can't yeah. hold the TARDIS key. <laughs> yeah. Uh, the doctor asked the captain if it was worth it, uh, that they say she sacrificed her whole life to come to Mars. Captain Adelaide says it's been chaos back home for 14 years. The climate, the ozone, the oil apocalypse, humanity almost reached extinction. And to fly above that, to stand on a world with no smoke, where the only straight line is the sunlight, yes, it's worth it. The doctor calls her a woman with starlight in her soul. That's a great line. If that was right? a pickup line, that'd be just, I feel like that's... A pickup line? Ooh, yeah. I ship it. You think yeah. you think like, you could walk up to someone and be like, "Hey, you're a starlight to my soul." That's yeah. so. No, intense. starlight yeah, in her star soul. Starlight in, in your. Yeah. Who's? What do you mean in her? I. So okay, I'm setting the scene. Mm -hmm. I 
am walking up to someone mm-hmm. and I am telling them, hey, I'm the starlight in your soul. No, Adam. No. You're the starlight in your are you yeah, are Who's really, the starlight? You're George McFlying this. You're like, instead of death, I am your density. That's what, yeah, you're, yeah, that's yeah. what you're doing right now. Maybe who's the starlight? Who's the line soul? would be, you have starlight in your soul. I'm yeah. telling her Which about I still her own starlight? And that's what drew you to her? There's... Adam. <laughs> this is this yeah. is somebody stuff. somebody this is write a some lessons for Adam. Someone yeah. needs to Marty McFly his George right here. This is so okay. So we're back. Okay, I'm back. Okay, I still don't I'm, think you like open with that line. Yeah. He but... said it was a pickup line. I mean, right? You can yes. pick someone up partway into a conversation. Yeah, you don't, you don't... How do you? Okay, tell me how I weave in her starlight. You go. Uh, they're a famous astronaut captain, and yeah. you're talking about her accomplishments. Well, it, that's one. If they're that, and if okay. That's, you very specific over, you start <laughs> yeah. talking to the person you are fascinated by their story and their life you get to something they've done that's like interesting or amazing or emotional and then you use that line and there you go like okay. it's the <laughs> Adam, okay you know what you know what here's i'm gonna use that line this week and i'll report yeah but here's the thing podcast. i would have to think you used it wrong <laughs> based on just what just happened listen kevin if you know anything about me it's i always use these lines wrong like we that this is so well known like I, i'm whatever i'm gonna use this week i'll report back next week it'll be you a very are in the tent in the twilight situation <laughs> yeah i'm oh my god that fucking tent <laughs> what a pull well oh um uh, yeah i i i like a lot of this stuff right like there, there's really interesting dialogue and this is like i think where this episode does start to excel for me right like the emotion the doctor's showing the conversation about how important these people are and the dynamics we start seeing actually with the crew, I think, is really good. They do a good job of, like, telling, or not even telling you, like, showing you, which is, you know, the thing they talk about with with writing and storytelling, showing you connections without ever saying it. Like, the stuff between Adeline and Ed, the, you know, the, the I guess the, the number two on the ship, um, essentially, like, have, like, this history. And they don't ever spell it out necessarily, but, like, it's there in the dialogue and I think done in a really well way. That's not exposition heavy um, moments where, you know, Yuri and, and Maya I believe are like holding hands, like small little things that really show you the dynamics without spelling it out. And I think this is a great way of doing it for the doctor of him talking about how important these people are and like seeing the effect on, on Adeline. It's really, really interesting. Not to mention, I mean, Adam said it like it is creepy. Like when we see these people with the water face, it's creepy. Like they're cracked mouths and faces, and like the dripping stuff. It's very, it's very xenomorph esque, I guess. Which is sort of again like the classic crew in space being hunted by a creature. Yeah. So the astronauts find the woman from the garden alive, but she's not breathing. Uh, the doctor warns them not to touch her. They put her in isolation. They suspect the other astronaut has gone wild. Uh, the astronauts are diagnosing the growling sound as Andy, the missing astronaut, and the doctor uses the sonic screwdriver to turn the lights back on. The captain asks if he's the doctor or the janitor, and the doctor calls himself the maintenance man of the universe. Great line. Doc- <laughs> yeah. Uh, the doctor comments that they're growing vegetables, and the captain says the crew wants real Christmas dinner as opposed to last year's dehydrated food. The doctor comments that the birds still being alive is a good sign. Uh, the woman, Maggie, who was attacked, wakes up, but doesn't remember being attacked, wants to be let out, but the rule is 24-hour quarantine. One of the astronauts find Andy dripping water. Maggie starts to twitch into a watery creature and talks about how Earth has so much water. We should like that world. <laughs> the way the cap- she says that, too, with the voiceover, because they do this, like, layered voice, is very effective. I think it's cool. Yeah. 
Uh, the captain and the doctor find Andy with his hand on Tarek, the medic, both water creatures now. Uh, the captain and the doctor manage to run away uh, before being blasted by water. The captain warns the crew not to drink the water, not to even touch it. The doctor comments that human beings are 60% water, which makes them the perfect host, but he doesn't know what they are and he has to go. That whatever started here, he can't see it until the end. The two water dudes start to spray water at the airtight room the captain and the doctor are in. Airtight and therefore watertight. But that depends how clever the water is. Uh, and they run away, chased by the water dudes. Uh, the doctor uses Gadget to give them both a lift, like a flaming segue. The doctor makes sure that Gadget gets in with them, despite hating the robot. Uh, the captain tells them that they're safe, but the doctor tells her that water is patient. Water just waits. It wears down the cliff tops, the mountains, the whole world. Water always wins. This is um, the part Adam talked about. And yeah, but like... Come on! <laughs> like, them hopping onto the back of Gadget, and it's just, like, flame trailing out of there as they go down this corridor for me. I'm just like, this is fun. I'm into this. It was just too much. Like, it was it was just too much for me. If they would have, like, gotten on, they would have just moved. Like, we didn't need... I did not need, like, the... Whatever it is. Uh, the Ghost Rider situation happening uh, <laughs> out there. Like, I just did not need that. Um... At all, like they could have just made it go fast and then whatever. And also, like the the we spent so long on this. Like the, honestly, this is probably my real problem. Of just like I feel like everything got elongated and like we didn't really get a lot more from each scene. If we would have like taken out five seconds here, ten seconds there, um, we saw so many shots of David Tennant just like cool as a cucumber riding the thing while she was like grabbing onto him for That's dear true. life like we we went back to that shot at least three times like and and it just kept going and going and going like he was you know a midwestern dad taking his boat out on the lake and trying to impress <laughs> other people like like that was the situation happening here and i was just like okay i just don't need more of this and then like as they're raising their hands to open up the the pressure washer and we're like starting to wash the windows i just i couldn't do it it like wasn't scary it was just funny and like not in a way that was like haha comedy but it was just like what are we doing here like this is this feels like such a terrible production of of, of like a sci-fi situation so i don't know melissa what are your thoughts um yeah this wasn't necessarily the, like yeah the scariest thing but i was sort of intrigued by the whole concept of like water on mars is like the thing that is being searched for right it's being lauded is like oh this is like the future of you know if we can only find water on mars every you know it'll be great and whatever so again it was sort of this like decently simple concept that i appreciated of like but what if there was in something in the water like what if the water was the baddie <laughs> um and so I, I I liked that general idea. I liked this line about like the patience of water that felt very um, ominous, but also like true to mm -hmm. real life. Um, so yeah, sure. Maybe like the effects of the power washing was a bit much, um, but I, I thought it was interesting. Uh, the the bike segue or the, the flaming gadget segue part was probably unnecessary i was a bit confused as to like why that was suddenly happening um but otherwise yeah i didn't i don't think i'm like quite as um i wasn't like horror like i wasn't like terrified or anything by this right. but i was very like intrigued at least at this point 
Uh, I don't know what's so confusing about it. He used a sonic screwdriver, and like Adam said, they hit the NOS, and they just go. That's how it works. <laughs> haven't yeah. you Haven't you yeah. seen a Fast and Furious movie? <laughs> I try not to, Kevin. I really yeah, try not I, to. I think I've seen like one. Oh um, man, but you've seen Mission Impossible, I guess, or at least seen the clip of the first again, one. I like I've seen references. like one. I think the Mission Impossible like reference is, uh, you know, a thing. If people movies, hadn't yeah. even seen it, yeah. <laughs> Well, you of the two, I would actually say you should watch Mission Impossible. They're great, um, and you can check out my discussion of the latest one on Post Show Recon Theater this week. I love how the only plugs. I didn't even we know there was the latest one. This is really great. The only plugs we do in this podcast are when Kevin randomly mentions other podcasts. He's out yes. in the middle. That's I really love that. <laughs> I really do. Um, but yeah, I, I also think the water line is interesting. The the patience of water as a person who also doesn't you know love water and going into the ocean um that idea is true right and i do yes the pressure washing looks ridiculous but it's true like if they just blast water at a thing long enough it's gonna work which is like the craziest thing <laughs> that it was just wear it down um and that's like what water does so yeah the effects are all goofy but to melissa's point i agree like the the concept and the premise is really interesting and fascinating uh, so the doctor suggests they get bikes to get around. Uh, the crew notes that Maggie's brain activity is going haywire, and the captain questions Maggie. The doctor talks to her in ancient North Martian, uh, and the doctor notices that Maggie's eyes are different. They're clear, like she's closer to human. The doctor asks where they get their water from, and the astronauts say the water is filtered and screened. It's safe. And the doctor says, looks like it, yeah, which I thought was very funny. Uh, the doctor says whatever this is doesn't just hide in water. It creates water and asked what she wants. The astronaut shared that she was looking at the screen of Earth, a world full of water. The astronaut tells, uh, this is Yuri, tells the captain that it's an unknown infection and it's spreading and that demand, or sorry, Yuri said it's the planet full of water. Ed's the one that reminds the captain uh, that for an infection that's spreading, it demands action procedure one. Captain Brooke agrees and declares crew evacuation. It'll take them three hours to pack everything up that they need, but the captain gives them 15 minutes. The engineer has to leave Gadget behind. Uh, they will have to leave Maggie behind without a way to contain her. And the doctor warns the captain that this thing is clever, that it didn't affect the birds or insects. It chose the humans and the water can wait. That whatever infected Maggie waited so it could infiltrate the central tunnel. That means any one of them could already be infected. And if they bring it back to Earth, just one drop. The captain insists that they are only presuming infection that if they could find out when it got through and goes to inspect the ice field. The doctor says he should leave, but runs after the captain to go see the ice field. He suggests bikes again, fold away bikes. I also do love that this episode, the doctor's constant, like I, I've said before, like his real catchphrase of the, of the, of David Tennant's tenure is to like, I'm sorry, I'm so sorry, which he says a lot. But his catchphrase of this episode is basically just like, I should go. Like yeah. he says it so many times. It just made me laugh. Like every other moment he's like, I should probably leave. I should leave. I should leave. And then, does it for obvious reasons, but I just think it's very funny that he kept doing that whole bit. Did it not like bother? I, I, I feel like I'm usually the one that kind of like stands in defense of this sometimes, but it like it did start to bother me a little bit that he kept bringing up like how he can't get involved or do anything. The whole like fixed point in time, like we get this conversation even more and more again mm -hmm. as we go on throughout the episode. But like he starts this conversation starts at the beginning, like when he gets there, like he really does acknowledge that at the start, and then it's like. Okay, well, we we all know that you're basically gonna ignore this rule in some capacities. So like, why are we even saying it? Did that like uh did that like not have any effect on on your view of this episode? Because it, it definitely bothered me a lot more on the rewatch than it did when I first saw it. 
it didn't. And I'm going to play Adam here because I, I do read it. And I don't think this is an overly generous read, but... I say that all the time too, yeah. I know, yeah. it's true. Uh, but I don't think he's saying it as a manner also of just like reminding the audience or whatever, because there's that belief, like they, they're repeating it so the audience knows. But I do honestly think he's trying, he's genuinely trying to convince himself. Like yeah. every time he's bringing it up, it is him, like he is trying to tell himself, this has to happen, this has to happen. I can't interfere, I can't interfere. And I think he's like, it happens a lot in this episode, but I do think it's really purposeful because he needs to convince himself that because deep down he wants to. And I will say though, even in the instance of like, well, you know, you are going to do something, how it ultimately ends up happening, I think is fantastic because I, and I do think it is emphasized by this continuously saying, I can't do anything. I can't do anything. And then when he does it, you're sort of just like, ooh, yeah, maybe you should have, like, you know, so I, I, I personally think it works. Yeah, I think it's interesting that we, like, theoretically know how this episode ends from the very beginning, right? And yet it's the way that it's unfolding mm -hmm. um, that we're like, okay, but is that going to be how this works? Like, what's, uh, I think that there's enough intrigue here as to what's going on that I'm, I'm still kind of like, okay, yeah, like, at this point, I'm like, okay, the captain is going to decide that, like, the infection could spread to Earth, and so she can't. So that this was sort of the moment that I was like, okay, yeah, that's definitely what's happening here. Um, but then I was like, how is, for me, it was like, how is the doctor's role in this going to play out? Like, that was the part that I was intrigued by. Like, is it going to be a Pompeii situation where, like, he's the one that ultimately has to push the button and, like, make that call? Or is it going to be something else does he like try to stop it it can't like what's the how is that playing out so that was the part that i was interested in uh kind of despite the fact that we ultimately knew sort of the conclusion of this episode uh so yuri apologizes to maggie as he leaves her behind maggie manages to get out of the medical door she screams andy and Tarek stop their waiting and go back down the hallway uh the doctor talks about the long ago race of martians who built a world out of snow the ice warriors the captain remember says that for later <laughs> the uh the captain says she doesn't have time for stories and the doctor wonders if they found something down there and used their might and wisdom to freeze it the captain is searching for changes in the water process to find the timing of the infection and tells the doctor that he doesn't look like a coward, but all he's wanted to do is leave, that he knows so much about them that it's like he knows more. The doctor tells her that this moment in time is fixed, that everything else is in flux and can change, but certain moments have to stand. The space on Mars with her is one of those, and what happens here has to always happen. She asks what that is, and the doctor says he doesn't know, but that he thinks something wonderful happened, something that started 50 years ago. Adelaide says she never told anyone that, but the doctor says she told her daughter, and maybe one day she tells a story to her daughter of a day the Earth was stolen and moved across the universe. Adelaide says she saw the Daleks. We looked up to the and the sky had changed. Everyone was running and screaming, and my father took hold of me. We see young Adelaide's father leaving to go find her mother and promising to come back. Adelaide says her parents were never found, but out on the streets there was panic and burning. She went to the window, and there in the sky she saw it, and it saw her, that it stared at her looked right into her, and then simply went away. I knew that night, I knew I would follow it. And it's this like Dalek out, uh, outside the window. The doctor comments that it wasn't for revenge. And Adelaide asks, what would be the point of that? And the doctor smiles and says, that's what makes you remarkable. And that's how you create history. 
The doctor tells her to imagine it, that she began a journey that takes the human race all the way up to the stars. It begins with her and then her granddaughter. She inspires her so that in 30 years, Susie from Tannerbrook is the first pilot of the lightspeed ship to Proxima Centauri. And then everywhere with her children and her children's children forging the way to the dragon star, the celestial belt of the winter queen, the map of the water snake wormholes. One day a brook will fall in love with the Tandonian prince. That's the start of a whole new species. But everything starts with you, Adelaide, from 50 years ago to right here today. Imagine. Adelaide asks who the doctor is and why he's telling her this. And the doctor says as consolation. I, okay. Two, two things. One, you shouldn't have said that. <laughs> like, just... What? Why'd you do that? Like the the, the hubris of telling, like it's 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 consolation. So you know when things happen, this will make you feel better. It's just like I don't, I don't, I don't know. Don't 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 tell a person that. That's a lot. Um, but the part I actually do want to comment on as an extremely Kevin nitpicky thing. Adelaide has this story. Actually, there's two levels to this. One, Adelaide tells a story about the Daleks and stolen Earth, which is a thing that we all saw happen in the in, in the finale this is yet another instance because the way it's described is like i've never told anyone about this there's a lot of people who saw it happen like who who are you not to the all of london saw like the entire world saw it like who wh why aren't you saying anything like who are you not saying this to you should have been like one day the earth disappeared and went into space guys and everyone's just like yeah we were all there like th <laughs> this is like this is a constant thing in the show that is has I think we've mentioned where the Dalek show up or the giant star shows up or a thing, Cardiff gets blown up. Like there's just stuff that happens constantly. And then everyone is just like, nope, never saw an alien before. <laughs> the first time this is happening. Never heard of them. Daleks, don't know them. Like it's just such a weird thing that keeps happening. I will say, uh, without too much, um, certain other writers who come in uh, try to clean that shit up and like come up with reasons why that happens. And kudos to them for trying to dustpan it a bit. But like, it's it's wild that that keeps happening. And the smaller other thing is, the Dalek letting her go makes no sense. It makes it makes no sense at all because I think like there's an explanation later about why, and I'm like, no. That doesn't work. They made a reality bomb. They were gonna they were gonna wipe out all of reality. They they wouldn't have made that choice. Like so I just find it so weird. Where I'm like, didn't you also write that other episode? Wouldn't you have known that? Yeah, I mean I, I co-sign <laughs> all of what you're saying. I, I am very glad that I don't have to be the only one that's like down on so much of this, right? Like I do think <laughs> it's that just it was this like, one part, Adam. <laughs> well, but it's like a you know, it's, it's a lot it's a lot of both this one part. Um and then also, uh, like you said before, I like the thing that I really like want to emphasize here, don't tell other people that like their death is going to be like <laughs> you know, good for someone like, what, what, what are we doing here? That's like the people who are like, Oh, they're, you know, uh, the, your person who passed away and they're trying to offer you condolences. It's like, Oh, they're a better place. Or like it was meant to be, or like, there's a plan somewhere. Like, shut up. Just let, like, let, like, this is not your place to like be involved in this situation. Like, can we just take it down a notch? And like, yeah. you don't need to be the freaking savior here. Like, let's anyway, express sympathy, but don't try to like, I guess, I, I mean, I understand where they're coming from, but like, I don't know. You don't always know what people's go like express the sympathy, express yeah. the comfort, express being there. Sometimes yeah, you can say those things and it's like, it's not what I need to hear or I don't believe in that. And so that doesn't help me at all. So I, I agree with this point in general, uh, for this specific episode, I will say, yeah, the Dalek leaving her made 
zero sense. That annoyed yeah. me. Um, I do think when she was like, I've never told the story before that she was referring to like her specific interaction with the Dalek, uh, not like the okay. entire planet being moved. Fair enough. Um, so that was my interpretation of that. But yes, I also had a moment where I'm like, why would the Dalek do that? That makes no sense. Yeah. Um, but I, I loved this idea that like, the doctor's like, oh, you didn't go for revenge for your parents. Mm -hmm. She's like, what would be the point? And he's like, and that's why you're incredible. Like, I do I loved, love that. Yes. I loved that interaction. And I did sort of love this idea that he is trying to offer her consolation as I think it is starting to dawn on her that like, she may not get out of this situation yeah. that your life and death will inspire. And I, and I think, I, it's a bit of a struggle because I think it's her life more than her death that will inspire mm -hmm. that going into space. Um, but that it is, that it's like the legacy of what you did being these like first colonists on Mars, like, don't worry, humanity like continues to build upon that legacy and like go further and see more things. And like your family is at the crux of that because of like your granddaughter who you've inspired to do that, which I think is, I think it's like a very sweet, idea and very and you know potentially comforting to someone like this woman who's given up she said like 14 years of her life to like achieve this goal where he's like yeah this might seem really really awful but like it's not for nothing you're not going to like destroy this base and then like humanity's like yep too dangerous never doing that again like that's not what happens here so that was i think why i i liked this moment and him like the words as consolation it's just like this big gut punch at the end but i think that the captain is smart enough to like already be like putting these pieces together of what the outcome what the likely outcomes are here and you know whether or not she's accepting that or not he's giving her this information for once she finally does that like yes this is really awful but like your dreams and your um and all of this work that you put in like has inspired a lot yeah i um I like there is I, I i am in agreement here but um there is more i kind of want to say about this moment in the positive um but i'm gonna save it for the end because it ties directly into the ending moment so i'll, I'll hold on it i just made a note to myself Talk about <laughs> this. um so yeah i'm gonna hold on to that but i do agree with with a lot of what you're saying here um but i'm glad we all were just like that eh, doesn't make sense to the dog yeah <laughs> that, the dollar thing is yeah. dumb uh, so we find Andy's maintenance log of a water filter that doesn't fit. Adelaide says the infection arrived that day and the water cycles out of the biodome after a week. So the rest of them can't be infected and they can all leave. The astronauts start loading food. Adelaide agrees that the doctor was right about the bikes. Uh, and she tells the doctor to leave that she knows what this moment is. It's the moment they escape and tells him to get out. Andy and Tarek are making their way as the crew prepares to leave, but they're on the roof and they start to spray water. The captain tells them to keep working. The doctor watches and recalls the headlines of the nuclear blast and he leaves, but his access to leave is denied. The captain demands he tell her what happens. He refuses, but she says she could ramp up the pressure in the airlock and crush him. The doctor says she could have shot Andy, but she didn't, and he loved her for that. And imagine she knew something and found herself somewhere like Pompeii and tried to save them, but in doing so makes it happen. The doctor said anything he does just makes it happen. The captain says she's taking action one, that there are four more standard action procedures. And option five is detonation, the final option, the nuclear device at the heart of the central home. But she detonates that device, taking the base and her crew with her. And no one ever knows why. But she was saving Earth. That's what inspires her granddaughter, that she takes her people out into the galaxy because she dies on Mars. 
The doctor says, you die today. She flies out there like she's trying to meet you, which was just a line that like broke my heart. Uh, the captain says she won't die, but the doctor says your death creates the future. The captain asked him to help her and asked the doctor if he knows all this, why can't he help and change it? He insists he can't, that sometimes he can, sometimes he can save someone, but not her, that she's wondered all her life why the Daleks spared her, that it knew her death is fixed in time forever, and that's right. The captain asks if she'll die, if he'll die here too, and asks what will save him, and he says, Captain Adelaide Brooke. She pushes the button to let him out and says, damn you. It's the callback to Pompeii, I think, is great. Um, yep. I really love that they call back to that. And to me, like that, again, is why he kept saying this, right? Like, it's like he kept the refrain of like, I can't appear, I can't appear, I can't appear. And then this is the explanation of like why he's been telling himself this, because he's trying to convince himself and brings up Pompeii where it's just like, I can't interfere because this is what could happen. Like, I could be the reason this these people die. I could be the reason this exploitation explodes. This is an event um for uh, from our future as people and viewers but like i love the reference to an event that we saw not just in the show but in real life i thought that was very clever to bring this back around and to your point adam right like if this is like a whole arc story that's being told especially if you look at this from in my opinion like runaway bride even to here there's a very strong narrative thread and i think we're seeing a lot of it um pulled from so much of the donna stuff especially well, and we haven't we haven't gotten a lot of stories over the past couple of seasons that have involved the doctor saying like, oh, this is a fixed point in time, like we can't intervene, like there's a lot of that stuff. And you know, the last the last prominent one was certainly Pompeia's, like that was a, a very big discussion. So I think like they were they were almost forced in a sense to to bring that up because I think that we would be thinking about it regardless, mm -hmm. and like it wouldn't make sense to us as the viewer if the doctor wasn't also thinking about that. And I think like that to me is where I enjoyed the reference because it wasn't just like oh remember this remember this previous story that we told you remember this other thing it was like oh the doctor is remembering this previous situation that he was in i think like that to me is why this works and 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 was probably one of the more effective conversations i i totally agree like this uh um with what you're saying was like it was a, it was a little heartbreaking like to see this this like this was the emotional stuff that i think worked for this episode there was a lot that did it there was a lot of like weird wacky humor things that weren't supposed to be funny that, like really didn't like work for me this conversation did work for me i thought the delivery was really good the line read was really really good um and like i could feel that emotion like there was a lot there she was like out here doing a very big thing this was like a very important project a very whatever research science I'm, there's a lot of whatever science you know i'm sure science is very important in a lot of ways and those research <laughs> projects are very whatever but she was like putting a lot out there this is like her big passion and like to leave this legacy and like to leave something for her her you know daughter granddaughter whatever like a, it's very important and like we could see the impact of that and how that was making her feel so i did appreciate that part of it Science is important, Melissa. I, I respect you. <laughs> <laughs> you sure about that? Of course. Uh, yeah. I don't know what it is. I couldn't do it myself, but you know. You keep I, saying I, that, Adam. It's almost like you're trying to convince yourself. <laughs> I am I'm just trying to convince everyone. There's a lot of the anti-science narrative placed <laughs> upon, you know, some particular members of this podcast. And I just, you know, want to make sure we are all respecting science. Great. I, I do think that this is like a little bit more than just like science for the sake of science, right? Like this is them trying to say like Earth is becoming or already is unlivable. We are desperately trying to like figure out an alternative so that, you know, she's like, uh, it, it's a little bit more than just like, oh, let's go study rocks on Mars, like see if we can grow carrots. That'll be cool. It's like, no, we were trying to like make the human race and like civilization survive. Um, 
because we've, you know, screwed up the planet so much. But um, yeah, I guess I, I thought it was interesting. I forgot the other thing I was going to say, but it doesn't really matter. Uh, basically, I just think that like the, sorry, yeah, I remember the emotional weight of the Pompeii episode coming back here, I thought really paid off for me. Like the idea that yeah. the doctor is grappling with the fact that like it's a fixed point, but it was a fixed point that like he still had to be responsible for. And I think he's like desperately trying to avoid being responsible for this one. Yeah. Like if I touch nothing, it won't be my fault. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I think that just like the weight of that devastation that he brought is like weighing on him really heavy in this episode. And so I think that's why like this conversation and some of the other ones I, I found really impactful. Uh, so water starts to enter the room with the crew. The captain orders them to the shuttle, but water's pouring in. Uh, water traps one of the crew members, and uh, the doctor leaves, hearing them yelling for her. She watches a video for her children as she gets drenched with water and becomes one of the water creatures. The doctor walks away as the crew's continuing to try to escape. Uh, Ed, the, uh, the engineer gets hit with one drop of water and tells them to go without him. He says, I'm sorry, Captain, one drop. Uh, as he becomes a water creature... The shuttle is compromised by Maggie and uh, Ed causes it to uh, destruct so that they can't use it to get to Earth. The blast throws the doctor. The hull is broken. They start to lose oxygen. And we hear uh, the doctor's voice saying, I'm not just a Time Lord. I'm the last of the Time Lords. They'll never come back. Not now. I've got a TARDIS. Same old life. Last of the Time Lords. And they died and took it all with them. The walls of reality closed. The worlds were sealed. Gone forever. The Time Lords kept their eye on everything. It's gone now, but they died. The Time Lords, all of them, they died. I'm the last of the Time Lords. This moment and what happens next, I think is awesome in a number of ways. Um, but one, I even think the before stuff, like where you're seeing the crew drop one by one, I think is actually very effective. And especially like the Doctor listening to it happening i think is effective because he could have turned it off but of course he's not going to it's very in character for him not to like turn the mic off to like not listen in so i i think because he want he's making a choice and he's just like i can't ignore the consequences of this choice so he's listening in and he makes a separate choice which is a whole other thing but like i like seeing them all go one by one in the ways they do i think really works and again like we have a brief conversation with Ed and Adeline about that, where it's just like, well, you never did forgive me. And we don't know the details, but it works. Like the, the way they talk and the interactions for me really works in developing a story for these characters in a way that made me feel like they had history without expositing the entire history. And like, we've been hinted at it throughout the entire episode with their interaction. So I thought it was like a good way to show story in the way without telling exactly what happened. And I, I, I personally found that it worked really, really well. And something I do want to say, though, uh, as we'll come into here, because, Adam, this is this is your area. Obviously, the music in, these, in, in what's to come is great. But yeah. my wife actually pointed this out um, because she was there watching this with me. When he's hearing the voices right before he makes the decision, they use the bad wolf theme. It yeah. is subtle, but it is right there. And, like, that is so good. And I was trying to, like, rack in my head. Like, I'm like, does they, do they always? And I think, yes. I feel like the Bad Wolf theme is specifically used every time there's, like, a danger moment. And, like, what that danger is is always in the context of, like, the, the bigger story. But I think that's so interesting to use here and so, like, cleverly effective. 
Yeah, I, I mean, the the music of Doctor Who is a podcast that needs to happen at some point. I, you know, <laughs> there, there's Especially as we get into the the Matt Smith stuff. Like, there, there, there's just so much good stuff. It's just ridiculous. Um, they do use that Bad Wolf theme, like, pretty often. And I, I really do like it when they're using it in these non-Rose capacities mm-hmm. because it just elicits that emotion, right? Like, it really takes you back to the time when the Doctor had this emotional weight, emotional attachment to it. And I think, like... As the Doctor is traveling sans companion here, like he is, you know, out there, uh, you know, picking up new companions every single time, right? Like we're just kind of going all over the place. Like there needs to be um, like some sort of emotional tether to keep us involved and like, and you know, uh, um, with the Doctor, like with him emotionally, because we don't have like that consistent person by his side. And I think like the music can do a large part of that, especially as like, again, we're getting to the end of this episode and we get the Ood stuff as well. Like the the, the, the music really is, is top notch throughout all of these specials Murray gold is a, a, a brilliant genius like i will always say that from now until the end of time um and i i do i agree with most of what you're saying kevin in terms of like it worked um as like people were dropping the different crew members but i i, I think like the slight modification that i would make is that it worked for me because i could see the impact of them dropping on the others i don't know if i was like super invested in them individually as they were dropping like i don't know that that story really yeah fair enough but their like emotional weight and 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 them dropping towards the people that were not that were still surviving towards the captain and even for the doctor that is what like made it work for me and i i don't know how important of a difference that is but like i i that is why it it works better for me than than kind of what you were talking about yeah like adelaide is the one i'm most invested in here and watching her having to like constantly be recalculating what she does as like they lose crew members as they lose access to different parts of where they are like yeah that was the part that i was invested in not just like yeah. each of these individually all of the women like watching the video of her children as she's getting drenched in water was like pretty heart-wrenching yeah uh, okay, so the doctor returns to the base, starts ordering them around. The captain tells the doctor not to die with them, and the doctor said someone told him recently he was going to die, that he was going to knock four times, but it doesn't mean right here, right now, because he doesn't hear anyone knocking. Then Andy <laughs> knocks three times, uh, but the doctor says three knocks is all he's getting and shocks him. He says water and electricity, bad mix. The doctor says they can use heat, works against the ice warriors, works against the flood, which is what we're now calling these like water people. Uh, Adelaide points Halo's out- mad. <laughs> Sure. Is it's that... a thing from the video game Halo. Cool. The flood is a very <laughs> big part of that. <laughs> okay. Uh, Adelaide points out that he said they die for the future and for the human race. The doctor says yes, because there are laws. Laws of time. Once upon a time, there were people in charge of those laws, but they died. They all died. Do you know who that leaves? Me. It's taken me all these years to realize the laws of time are mine, and they will obey me. The environmental controls are down, but the doctor insists he's not beaten. His helmet is damaged, still not beaten. The doctor says they aren't just fighting the flood. They're fighting time itself, and he's going to win. Maggie emits a screech that cracks the glacier, and the doctor brainstorms. Thinka, thinka, thinka. What have we got? Not enough oxygen. Protein packs. Useless. Glacier. Glacier mints. Minty. Monty. Multivene. Bunny. Bonnie. Bish. Bash. Bosh. Arg. The room. The room. Look at the room. Section F. What's in section F, anyone? And he does this like, whole big thing. Yuri explains it's just storage, what weather spikes, the robots, the atom plants. The doctor asks who needs atom plants and reveals Gadget, says he loves a funny robot. He gives something to Gadget, pats him on the head, calls him a good boy, and starts to drive Gadget through fire and water. Adelaide prepares to implement Captain's Protocol 5. The doctor says if he has to fight her as well, he will. The nuclear device is primed. The countdown starts at 100. And as Gadget races to the TARDIS, as the other water people and their voices join to make the crack in the glacier even bigger. 
this entire sequence is one fast paced and intense and it starts off with a theme we've heard which i find very interesting in retrospect because to your point adam about the usage of music in this show this is a theme we've heard many times and they usually use it when the doctor is about to do something amazing and cool and like it it amplifies intensity it's arguably one of the themes of this version of the doctor the 10th doctor however we had heard it once before and one could argue at this point it's not a theme that's the doctor's theme it's the theme of the Th- time lords because the other time that this was used was the reveal of yana as the master and I think it's very interesting to use this theme at this particular point where it's at first a doctor doing something heroic and then the way he is talking, it is not like the doctor. Like very quickly, you can hear the way he's speaking about how he is control of time, time obeys him, not the other way around. They're just like, ooh, this, this doesn't seem the right way to be looking at this. And I think it's just really, again, really interesting thematically the music choices that you're used and thinking about when these cues were used previously i just find that very fascinating in this moment yeah i think that this like breaking bad moment of the doctor right where he's like do you know what i like everybody else is dead there's only me like why am i uh subject to obey these time laws when that was our whole thing as like to maintain that he's like i am the one who can say whether or not this is true and i just yeah i i I think that this is just so interesting that and such a like natural conclusion to the trauma the doctor has gone through where he's like you know the number of time how many times has he said like not today like whatever Mm -hmm. and this is all day he's been like i can't do this one like i can't stop this this is a fixed point and then suddenly he's like who calls it a fixed point i do like there's nobody else to hold me accountable i can change it i can make it work and like we're gonna see again the fallout from that but i think that this is just like I don't know. I think it's like really emotionally impactful to see this moment and then the moments that are going to follow of him saying like, no one else is going to stop. There's nobody to stop me. I So the doctor sets the TARDIS controls remotely using Gadget as the countdown continues. We hear the TARDIS sounds as the last few seconds of the countdown and the base explodes. Uh, the TARDIS ap- uh, appears on a snowy street with Adelaide, Yuri, and Maya. The doctor asks if anyone's going to thank him. Uh, Gadget shut, shuts down. Adelaide remarks that they're in front of her house. The doctor says it's November 21st, 2059, the same day on Earth, and it's snowing. He loves snow. Uh, Mia comments the TARDIS is bigger on the inside, asks who the doctor is, and runs away, and Yuri runs after her. Adelaide says the doctor saved them. The doctor tells her to just think her daughter, her daughter's daughter. She can see them again. Family reunion. Adelaide says she's supposed to be dead, and the doctor says not anymore. Adelaide says Susie, her granddaughter, the person she's supposed to become might never exist now. The doctor says Captain Adelaide can inspire her face to face. Different details, but the story is the same. Adelaide says says he can't know that. And if her family changes, the whole of history could change. The future of the human race, no one should have that much power. The doctor says tough. Adelaide says he should have left them there. The doctor says he's done this sort of thing before in small ways. Saved some little people, but never someone as important as her. He says, oh, I'm good. Adelaide, like, watching her, like, react to this, I was like, go. Uh, She says, little people, what, like Maya and Yuri, who decides they're so unimportant? You? The doctor says, but a long time now, he thought he was just a survivor, but he's not. He's a winner. That's who he is. The Time Lord Victorious. 
Adelaide says there's no one to stop him. And the doctor says, no. Adelaide says, this is wrong, doctor. I don't care who you are. The Time Lord Victorious is wrong. The doctor says, that's for me to decide. Now you'd better get home. He uses his sonic screwdriver to unlock the door. And Adelaide asks, is there nothing you can't do? And the doctor says, not anymore. Adelaide goes inside, pulls out her gun, and we hear the shot. In his head, the doctor sees the history record change from her place of death from Mars to Earth, but Susie Brooks still grows into space. The doctor hears Adelaide's voice say, I don't care who you are, the Time Lord Victorious is wrong. The doctor turns to see an ood looking at him. The doctor says, I've gone too far. Is this it? My death? Is it time? The doctor falls to his knees, and the ood vanishes. Then he gets back up again and goes inside the TARDIS. We hear a bell toll, and the doctor says no and pulls a lever. And that's the end of the episode. Gosh. I, I you know, as, as much as the a lot of the other stuff earlier in the episode was like, okay, this is ridiculous. Um, very powerful here at the end. I don't know that I am in love with the way that they like wrote this. I think that like uh uh you know, Adelaide um like committing suicide here at the end and like that being the story is like almost almost too tragic in my mind to the point of just like we kind of had already like had to grapple with like the the changes or like the or you know the the impacts of what could have happened to her up on Mars like I don't know that I just don't know that we needed that impact here but I also think that like something you said earlier Melissa of just like the natural conclusion of where the doctor's story is is like with this in, you know increased ego like with with his mind like in this way um it's almost not even like a conclusion because like we are setting this up to be like such a big thing for him in the next couple of episodes that like gosh um it's a lot like it's it really is a lot here for this for this episode and i think that like having Ud sigma at the end is like also very very cool like having that connection be there um and the doctor have to like you know deal with the deal with the consequences of his own like increased head size like he's out there he's like taking control and ownership of everything and like it, it probably is too much power for, for one person to have, but also like at the same time, the thing that I struggle to wrap my head around is like, you're giving him even more power by like letting him be right about these things and like not taking that into your own hands. And so it's, it's tough. It's a, it's a really powerful ending. Yeah. I, th I thought it was, I thought it was really great. I thought that, um, you know, I think back to that episode with Sarah Jane, like, ages ago right where they're talking about oh yeah like then you'd be a god and that would be that would be awful or whatever um i can't remember the exact line it but was it actually i have it written down it's from the christmas episode specifically about you can't choose who lives and dies because the asshole survives and like it, uh, you know i i think he was they were saying like if you could choose who lives and survive that would make you and you think it'd be a god but the they say a monster and mm -hmm. i love the comment like this full circle for me a plus on that yeah, and I, I think I, I think the ending is kind of perfect where she's sort of like, no, you don't get to make this choice. You don't get to have that power and decide who lives and dies. Like, I, I have a say in that, too. Mm -hmm. um, and, like, the sacrifice that she will do to preserve her legacy and the future of humanity and, you know, make sure that her granddaughter... Uh, her path and her future doesn't change. Like, I think that that's really powerful. Um, and, I, you know, this like immediate moment of the doctor being like, oh, I've gone too far, haven't I? Like, this is, uh, this is it. And then that like flip is like a minute later where he's like, no. Uh, and like just this emotional dilemma that the doctor is going through and, and processing all of this. I, 
I thought it was so interesting. I thought I, I like I've just like all the props to David Tennant in this episode. I think that there are so many emotional beats through this episode that I found just like absolutely fascinating and heart wrenching. And um, it, to me, it all just feels so rooted in character that makes so much sense. If you are someone who's experienced everything the doctor has that um, I find it really great, regardless of like the weird water people. <laughs> yeah. I do think the ending of this episode is is really ultimately what makes the episode, but I do think we had to have a lot of little pieces to get here. Um, and, you know, as much as, like, I was, we all commented on the Dalek situation of just, like, it, it like, doesn't make sense. And I was, I made the joke of, like, didn't you write that other episode? Um, I will say there is a callback that was, again, written by uh, Davies specifically like, yes, there's that Christmas episode I mentioned with the Titanic, right? Like, that line of, like, it would make you a monster. But the other callback that I found very interesting was to the Runaway Bride. Because there is a shot that is identical from there, where in Runaway Bride, we saw him standing over the fire. And, like, that, that upward shot of him, like, the fire in the foreground and him standing above it. We see that same shot here again. When he is making the choice of the as the 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 place is like um the station is burning, there's fire in the foreground, he's standing above it, and it's the same moment of the time lord going too far, and someone's not there to stop him. A companion, like a real companion, is not there to pull him back from the brink. And this is where we see the effect go. Like before Donna was there, right, and was able to like, hey, you gotta chill. But like Adeline doesn't have that connection with him, I guess, and has a different POV. She's not Donna. And doesn't immediately pull him back, but her version of doing it is to, I think, what really works um, is her taking that choice from him, essentially, and being like, "You, yeah, you don't get to make these choices. It's my life. I get to make this choice. And in a way, for all his talk of, like, time has to obey me, the ending is very much just like, no, I don't, because, like, time took care of itself, right? Like, time made what had to sort of happen happen, sort of by his own choice, but, like, I love the way that that's played with and that's toyed with and like how it all comes to fruition here. It's so interesting and fascinating uh, to see again, like this narrative arc, which I do think is really strong for this doctor and for David Tennant's acting ability. The thing I wanted to call back to previously too, is that what I really love about how this plays with is like, they establish Adeline's personality throughout this episode, like how much of like tough decisions, hard line she is on a lot of stuff. And there's always this thing about like you see sometimes in fiction and from the outside looking in, it's always interesting to talk about, but it's the, you know, it's, it's a little spot thing, right? Like what is the life of the few for the good of the many? Like it's that idea. What's one life when like her life in this case put against what is the future of humanity and the choice that has to be made has to come down to that person. And I think it's always interesting to see it from the outside perspective and like, be like, well, I would make that choice and I would do this, but then, putting it in a character sense makes it feel so much real. And the other thing that I, I think about, um, I think this is one of the prime examples for it. And the other one, which is very similar in its own way, but like very different is from Futurama, which spoiler for a 20 year old series, but is coming back. So if you're watching, uh, if you have Hulu, Futurama's back, you can catch new episodes starting this month. Um, there's a whole storyline here that in the prep of Futurama, the idea is that like, Fry, the main character, accidentally gets frozen in, like, cryo, wakes up a thousand years in the future. He loses his friends, his family, everything. He's in the future now. And the show goes on for seasons before this reveal happens. And there's a big reveal that he was purposely frozen. Someone that he knew in the future basically purposely froze him. And the argument was, we had to freeze you because we knew that you had to be here at this time to stop these big bad guys. 
And like Fry is furious about this fact where it's just like, you froze me. Like all of this happened because like you did this to me. And again, this is a cartoon comedy series, but this line sticks with me all the time where the person says, what is one life sacrificed against those of so many others in the galaxy of the entire galaxy? And Fry's response is, but it was my life. And I think that's so powerful and so human. And I think it's the same thing here. This idea of just like, oh, the little people that I saved. And like, it's it's so parallel on the importance of lives and how these bigger decisions by people like the doctor or the people like in Futurama to make these choices against you, but it's your life and it should be your choice about what happens. And in Futurama, Fry ends up making the same choice, but he does it himself to make it be his own choice, which I think is, very, again, very powerful. Very different outcomes. Same sort of parallel here in the story, but I think it's just so fascinating, the character beats of stuff like that. And so, like, yeah, for me, like, the ending really, really sells it and is both, like, extremely tragic, but I think a way of, like, hey, man, no, this is not how this works. So, yeah, it's it's really interesting and sets us up for um, the finale coming up very soon. Yeah, that's like the big part of this, right? I feel like the the ending really does do a good job of setting the table for the next couple of episodes and like where we're going to go here. And like, it, it really does underscore like the intense uh, intensity and importance of like how the doctor is feeling in these moments. And I think like, you know, there's there's an element of like loneliness as well. And just like, even though he has all this responsibility, he's like gained all this confidence. Like he is the one that gets to be the guy. He is the God of sorts. Like, you know, heavy is the head, right? Like, you know, uh, he, he, he certainly is like bearing all of that weight. And so it'll, it's going to, it's going to set us up really, really well for the next couple of episodes. Um, yeah. So anything else here I want to say continuity is something we talked about. I made a couple of references at the end of this episode. Ood Sigma does show up. Uh, this is going to be semi-continuity that's pulled from the past episodes as well from the planet of the Ood, but also, is uh, involved a little bit in the next episode. We'll see. Um, and the Ice Warriors is something I said, remember that for later. So the Ice Warriors are, I believe, an old Doctor Who villain that is from the original series. They do make a reappearance uh, in future episodes, but spoiler, pretty sure we're skipping that one. So uh, <laughs> just to note, though, uh, we'll call that back out when they show up. Um, but that was one thing that that went through. Obviously, the four knocks couldn't be a big thing as we head into next episode. I do like that moment. Three knocks is all you get. Uh, I thought that was very interesting. Um, and I think those are the main beats here that I can think of as far as continuity goes. Um, all right. So other than that, we have ratings or rather before ratings feedback and then we'll do our ratings so let's start there adam and what feedback do we get yeah uh so as always please keep sending your feedback you can do it on the discord a couple of different ways to get that feedback and we love getting it uh only a couple pieces of feedback this week uh first and foremost from daniel fields water always wins uh he loves his eyes tend to communicate so much with his eyes um, the Pompeii callback is perfect. It's exactly what I was thinking of when he was watching them scrambling around. The idea uh, of the Dalek saving young Adelaide is beautifully done. Um, and, and getting trapped behind the wall of water is very, very intense. And then, of course, the kids on video. So heartbreaking. I love Tennant's doctor, but I don't like uh, the turn he takes at the end of this run. He goes so power crazy. The logic problems at the end have always bothered me. Like, does the base exploding undo the creatures being rewarded from the cracking ice? And how are Mia and Yuri? reappearance is explained how is Adelaide's body ending up back on earth going to be explained um you know uh, nitty-gritty stuff but then he ends with with the quote no one should have that much power 
it's a lot of power to have. Yeah, I don't know about any logistics stuff. That feels very like RTD hand wave. It's fine. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah. <laughs> see how it works. I, I, I do also want to say what's interesting uh, I, I didn't hit on is this idea of, and this goes back to, I think, one of my complaints about uh, Journey's End is that intent is so important. And I think when the doctor was like in Pompeii and he saves, uh, and he saves, um, wow, I'm blanking on that actor's name, but he's uh, Peter Capaldi. Wow. Uh, he saves Peter Capaldi. The intent is like saving a life because that's all I can do in a moment I can't change. And I think that's important because the intent here is so much not that. It's not about saving a life. It's about essentially this being like having the power, being like, I'm the one that's in charge and I get to do what I want. And there's like a level of that that is fascinating and interesting because I do think you should try and do, even in a fixed point situation, even in a Pompeii, even in this, you should do as much as possible to try and save as many lives as you can because that's what that's what being a hero is. Throw thing at wall, bounce, hit head. Um, but like this, it's a Thor reference, but this specifically is like, the wrong intent right like the intent is not about saving lives the intent is almost about showing how good you are and how much better you are than other things and i think that's so fascinating and interesting about this as well yeah um and then finally from stewart with journey's end we got the doctor's impact on donna's life this time we get to see donna's impact on the doctors waters of mars is delightfully creepy but from the moment they start flashing back to news articles for telling death you know some timey-wimey big theme shenanigans are actually afoot the Doctor's Time Lord Victorious moment with Adelaide is so impeccably ominous, and the music for that brief moment is uh, Wagnerian with this almost unresolved bittersweet progression of chords. Yeah, actually, again, this is like there is a music podcast there, like the understanding like uh, the Wagner operas and like how, okay, anyway, honestly, <laughs> give me an hour of this, please. Uh, these little pockets of phenomenal concepts make up, uh, make up for a fairly well done but standard arrive at a base, monster emerges, save the crew episode. But this moment doesn't do quite enough to carry it for me. I think I'm like pretty close to, to where Stuart is here. Like there were these moments that like really did shine and really set us up well going forward. But like, you know, they they were able to like partially make up for some of the other stuff. But um, yeah. All right. Um and send feedback in as much as possible always like even if you weren't able to get into this week we read feedback from previous episodes as well uh so please send them in as you got them but for now we're gonna head into ratings so melissa what do you got for wibbly wobbly and timey wimey this week uh i don't know if adam's gonna be mad about this uh i'm gonna give this a 4.5 for wibbly wobbly i (laughs) i consider this a five i thought that this was such a good episode i really enjoyed it i enjoyed the emotional beats all throughout i love the character of captain adelaide um yeah it, it's one of those where like the few nitpicks are going to keep this from you know and i kind of want to reserve that upper echelon for our like blinks and silence in the library style episodes that are just like true perfect episodes but i thought it was really really good i really enjoyed david Tennant, especially um, and for Timey Wimey, I'm going to give it a four. I thought that the fixed point stuff um, didn't bother me because I thought it was sort of explained in a way that made a lot of sense that like if this doesn't happen, there's so much fallout that like needs to happen. And the doctor talking about all of his like, I can control that, I can change it. Um, and then again, sort of the relative simplicity of the idea of like what if we do find water on mars but there's something in it and that's bad you know like that sort of thing i thought was uh decently well explained so yeah it's uh high marks for both categories for me 
Adam. Wow, yeah. Point, uh, I certainly <laughs> am not mad at you for your ratings. What kind of person would I be to be frustrated about how someone rates something in any capacity? I mean, that would just be would not be emblematic of this podcast at all. Uh, unsurprisingly, I'm like much lower on both of these yeah. scores, though. Uh, I have a 2.5 for Wibbly wow, Wobbly. <laughs> I don't know. Like, I, I want, I really did want to see better. Like, I, I honestly, I started at a two at the beginning of this podcast, so we, <laughs> and it's like up a little bit here. Um, there were like really good moments at the end. I just like. It felt like, you know, if we would have gotten rid of 20 minutes of the stuff that I didn't like, we, this this could have been like a five. Like, truly, I think that if we had like cleaned this up quite a bit, then, then we're there. But <sighs> time and is even lower, unfortunately. Um, I did not find the time elements that I was looking for. And aliens That's aren't time. <laughs> aliens aren't time. So uh, 1.5 for timey-wimey. Uh, I, I like wanted more. The most that we got were the obituaries that kept changing and I didn't need 10 minutes of news clippings on my screen for this. Like, I, I'm not trying to watch a CNN town. Like, you know, I'm like, let's, you know, let's get it. Let's get off that. So 1.5 for a time. I'm pretty low overall, unfortunately. All right. Well, I am definitely closer to Melissa than I am Adam here on both accounts. And so, uh, for me, Wibbly Wobbly is probably at a four. Um, I, I think it's very strong. The callbacks that they did in this episode is really good. How they tied in so many themes, I think is very strong writing and storytelling. Um, certain shots that they brought over, I thought was really good. But also from, and this is kind of why I mentioned it, because from a technical writing standpoint, the the exposition stuff, or rather lack thereof, and giving character beats through moments, emotions, and dialogue, the real dialogue versus you remember how we met all those years ago? Yeah, I know. I've known you forever. Well, let me recap it to you anyway. Like, that's not there. Like, that's bad writing. And this had very strong elements of writing. So, like, for Wibbly Wobbly, I'm giving it a four because I have, I, I'm accounting that because I got to recognize that sort of storytelling that is so good and rarely seen in a lot of fiction. Um, and then, uh, honestly, my timey wimey is probably I'll I'm, I'm probably gonna end at a four as well, and the reason why is not the aliens and the space stuff. I do think there's time elements here because it's the element of like linear time, consequences of changing time in the Doctor Who universe. It's playing with the rules of time travel in this world, the consequences of trying to do it, time itself being like no thank you, and and course correcting things because yes it's her decision but if you look at it from a broader sense it's just like no time is a fixed point and essentially the universe forced time to wrap around itself to cause the event to happen because they had to there's so much in there about time as a concept and time rules and time travel and how it works whether or not that always follows through is a whole other thing but i like their ability to try and do that in a way that I don't think we've really seen heavily until like stuff like Pompeii has done before about the consequences of your own choices and how that affects time. So I'm giving it high scores on both. So that's where I'm landing here. Um, where where does that leave us, Adam? Yeah, so I, I feel like I'm like the one that's way out there because the audience like certainly agreed with both of you. They're at a four for uh, Wibbly Wobbly, leaving us at a 3.7 overall. So certainly you guys are carrying the weight <laughs> of that up. Um, Tommy Wimey, they were even higher at a 4.1, leaving us at a 3.4 total. So, you know, ultimately still like high mid-range of these, um, but I'm like the, I'm the cause for that. So it probably would have been much higher, but... I don't know. Way, there's no, there's I'm, so I'm much not... better Doctor Who, I think. Like there there like really is so much better Doctor Who than all of this and I'm I'm excited to get there cuz like we're not far away. We yeah, really no, are not. Yeah, that's true. I think it's interesting. Like Adam, you talk about how Doctor Who has something for everybody. Yeah. Um and that like 
what that is can be different for everybody. And for me, the like repeated like emotional character study that we got of the doctor in this episode is like exactly what I'm here for in Doctor Who. So yeah. yeah. It's part of what makes the series so special. I literally have been saying this since podcast number one of like, mm-hmm. there is something here for everyone that you will love and like be in love with. And I, you know, there are also things that like maybe will not work for you, but like will yeah. really work for other people. And I, that's like part of the beauty of the show. So I'm, I genuinely, I'm very glad that uh, you and, and the rest of everyone was like very high on this. And it's, it's why we're watching it. It's why we watched it. I think this, I ultimately think this was a very good episode for us to watch and, and to talk about, especially yeah. given the conversations we're going to have the next couple of weeks. Yeah. And, you know, watch if you love people drooling water out of their mouths. If that's your thing, it's just dripping water, just like as just flowing out of water. Face. How there wet do you is. think these actors were the whole time? Like, so were they wet. just I, like. I thought about that for certain scenes. Like, I'm like, oh, they were so wet and wearing wet clothes, uh, uh, running in wet clothes. <laughs> what a nightmare. <laughs> Um, but that is going to wrap us up for this week. Honestly, I'm not mad about where it ended. I think good tempering of stuff too, because like being really high and like when you think about the grand scheme of where we want it, where it might want to land. I think this is I'm happy with the ultimate outcome here. Um, but as for what we're doing next, next week we are heading into the next special, which is going to be end of time part one. That's to be special four. Special five is called end of time part two. And I will preface this by saying we are treating this like our usual two-parters. This is one story while split across two episodes. So we're going to be talking about End of Time Part 1 next week. However, when we give our ratings at the end of Part 2, it will be encompassing the whole story as opposed to rating for each individual episode. Obviously, get there how you want. If you like rating each and then averaging it out, go for it. If you like just watching the whole thing and then figuring out where you want to have to land, go for that too. But send in your feedback, though, for part one for next week. And if you missed this week, feel free to send in feedback as well for this episode. Um, and until then, man, only a few more times left. But all on Z. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Coriant. Coriant provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Coriant has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Coriant has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Coriant has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of planning, investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Coriant's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Coriant.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Coriant.com.